Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Broadcasting from Atlanta, Georgia, home of the world's greatest artist, TLC, Gladys Knight, India Ari, Indigo Girls, and Hartsfield Atlanta Jackson Airport, the Falcons, and Clark Atlanta University. This is The Bright Side with Technicia, a daily show with real people with real experiences. And now, here's your host, Technicia. Good afternoon, everyone. Today is December 14, 2017. Yay, happy birthday to all my Sagittarius out there. Happy birthday. And I really just want to say um, I appreciate the love that everyone gave me on my Facebook page. Um, this has been a little troubling times from for a majority of the family. And I do appreciate you so very much. So don't think that it is going unnoticeable. I'm still answering and thanking people for that. Um, I tell you, life is so short and we have to appreciate every bit of it. We really do. Because we never know when our last day is here. We all know our birthday, but we definitely don't know our, our death date. So just don't, basically don't take nothing for granted, okay? Don't don't take anything for granted. Utilize every little bit that we have down here. Do what you have to do. Like my mentor, Hazik, says, learn everything while you can. Keep learning. Explore. Venture out. Get out your comfort zone. Because when that last breath is up, it's up. And I apologize to all my Facebook followers. I did not post up that I was going live, but um, hopefully you'll forgive me, but we're going to get this show started because with me today, I am interviewing the bestseller author, Ajaye, who is the author of the book called Whispers of the Himalaya, Whispers of the Himalaya, so we'll be talking about that, and Ajaye has instructed and guided thousands of meditation students in North America, Australia, Europe, and India over the past 45 years. He is the founder of Effortless Mind Meditation. He's the author of several books, including this one, and Effortless Mind Meditate with Ease. He's the host of Mind Matters Radio on Our Turn to Talk Radio, 1150 KKKNW. He meditation workshops and retreats in the Pacific Northwest in the Himalayas. And he lives in the Seattle area. And you can find more out about him at www ajaye.com that's a-j-a-y-a-n.com but without further ado i'd like to welcome ajaye on ajaye thank you so much for being here with us today it's a cold day in georgia but i hope wherever you are the weather is better (laughs) well it's pretty cold out here in seattle too actually but hey thank you for having me on the show technician i really appreciate that oh most definitely i've 
I try to live up to the full potential, and I love what I do. Giving this show adds value to other people's lives as well as it adds value to mine. Because um, just this past week, I lost my stepdaughter. She passed on. She had pneumonia, and she had a hole in her heart. So I just feel like just doing what I do best is adding joy to someone else's life and hopefully it brightens up brightens their day because I want to make sure that everyone is happy. Before you leave this herb, I want to make sure Technisha has made you happy as well as making myself happy. But mm-hmm. Ajaye, I'm like I said, I'm glad to have you on. I'm I am very intrigued with your book, Whispers of the Himalaya. So you yourself have been to the um Himalayas. Um what was that like? Well, uh, well, I've, you know, I've been there a number of times now, but this, uh, the subject of this book was um, a trip, my first trip there, which I took in 1996. And uh-huh. uh, on that trip, I actually was looking for her. I wanted to get away from it all. I was um, actually working in the very southern tip of India uh, at an ashram. An ashram is like a spiritual community. And I was the meditation teacher there. And uh, it was a very busy ashram. They had, uh, the person who was, uh, who founded it was very popular. Uh, her name is uh, Mata Amritanandamayi or Amachi, uh, sometimes known as the Hugging Saint. She actually comes, where, you're in Georgia? I'm close to Georgia. But, uh, I, I am. She gets over there. The, okay, yeah. So in any case, uh, um, thousands of people would come there and it was very busy. So I was always on task teaching meditation, which of course I love, but uh, India is kind of a trial and with, you know, tens of thousands of people coming in every month, uh, it got just super busy. So I got a chance to go to the opposite end of the country uh, in the Himalayas to take a break. And I wanted to go up to this beautiful place at about 10,000 feet, uh, which is, the sort near the source of the Ganges river and find a cave and meditate there. That was what I was after. And so the, the book is about that story and it's, it turned into an amazing adventure. Uh, and I did find the cave finally, uh, wasn't as easy as I thought. Um, but, uh, just had a lot of different adventures and, and a lot of insights. So the book is not just adventures, but it's also, uh, when you're doing so much meditating in such a beautiful, especially in such a beautiful, gorgeous place. I mean, the Himalayas are just gigantic. They're on a different scale than any mountains I've seen here in the United States. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, over 20,000 feet, most of the peaks around us. And uh, all snow-capped and everything, and and very virginal, just untouched. So it's, it was like having Yosemite Park all to myself, you might say. Um, and I was in the middle of this forest, uh, quite a ways from people, all by myself in a cave, meditating. So I had a lot of time to reflect and had a lot of wonderful insights. And those are the whispers that I talk about in the Himalaya, you know, whispers of the Himalaya. They're just uh, insights that came to me. So anyway, I don't know right. if that answers your question, but uh, that, that so would that. be, that's the, what the book is about. It answered it very well. 
That was a great answer for that one. So <laughs> how did you be- so Ajaya, how did you become so violently interested in meditation itself? Oh, okay. Well that's another whole story. <clears throat> and I, I do talk me. about that. <laughs> yeah. So I talk about that a little bit in the introduction. Um, it goes back to 1970 when I was in high school. It was my last mm-hmm. year of high school. And uh, in 1970, things were a little crazy back then. And not that they're not now. Uh, it seems like it's always crazy just in some way or another. But uh, I, when it was, I ran with a group of friends where we uh, were, you know, testing the waters with some psychedelic drugs. And uh, one evening uh, with my friends, I took something that was called mesquite. I have no idea what it was. Um, and I had an amazing experience. And I can give you just a quick kind of summary of what that experience was. But this was the beginning oh, yeah, of cool. my meditation career. And so what yeah, happened I'll was, um, okay, perfect. So we were sitting in this car and there was about six of us in this, crammed into this car and we were, you know, I, you know, feeling a lot of love and just uh, having a wonderful conversation about God knows what. Um, but we were having a wonderful conversation, and it seemed like everybody was kind of in this state of unity where you would just say a, a few words, and it would convey an idea, and everybody would pick up on it and speak back, you know, kind of advance the conversation and go deeper. And at one point... Um, it was as if my mind started going too fast to express in words what I was thinking. And so I dropped out of the conversation and my mind was just kind of whirling around and it seemed like I was kind of on the track of just an amazing truth that I had never experienced before, some incredible truth of life. And so, um, and my mind was going faster and faster and, uh, and as it was going faster and faster, it was like I was approaching this truth and feeling more and more bliss. And, uh, and um, hold, hold on one second, Technicia. Um, okay. I've got to, my dog making a ruckus. Okay, sorry. <laughs> okay, so I was going, my mind was going around and uh, I was feeling more bliss and more love. And then at a point, it seemed as if my mind went too fast for even to think in words. And my thoughts were just these pure currents of energy and intelligence rotating around this faster and faster around this inner core. And it was more bliss and more love. And and it felt felt like I was just onto the trail of the secret of the universe. And then it touched into that core. And I'll tell you just by metaphor what happened then, because then it was as if there was a gap. And in that gap, imagine that you are the sun. Okay. You know, the sun is a million times bigger than the earth, right? It's a million times bigger. That's like inconceivable. You can't even imagine how big that is. But let's say you are the sun, a mass of energy and light, but also let's say the qualities of intelligence and happiness, like bliss. So you're this mass of inconceivable energy, intelligence, bliss. And yet, even so, the sun ends somewhere. 
So, and space begins. So let's say you're a trillion suns. Now you're going way beyond anything we can conceive of. A trillion suns of energy, intelligence, bliss, and love. And this was like that, except even a trillion suns would end somewhere, and this did not have an end. It went on for infinity. And in that entire expanse of infinity, there was not a single stirring. It was absolute peace at the same time. So when I came out of that state, I just said, that was God. And I thought everybody in the car must have had that experience too, but nobody had except me. And uh, so anyway, to kind of make a long story short, after that, I there were a few things I knew that were kind of imprinted in my being from that experience. One was that what I had experienced was had nothing to do with the drug, ultimately. I mean, the drug opened up that possibility of experiencing that, but in, a drug can't create infinity. It can't create yeah. infinity. So infinity right. is there. And I knew that. And I also knew that it was the goal of our lives to abide in that state, to come back to that, that state, our source. Um, and I also knew that in order to do that, I had to somehow clean up my act. I had to really purify in, in a way, in a profound way, and I wasn't sure what that meant, but I also felt of it in terms of, like, I had to be really fully normal. Uh, normal in the sense of eliminating all distortions in my being, all negativity and uh, any kind of, you know, negative feelings, negative impressions, whatever, anything that uh, was a kind of distortion from, quote, normal human life, not ordinary human life. This is normal in a much higher sense. And, and I didn't know exactly the way to do that, but I knew for one thing, I had to stop taking drugs. I was going to stop drinking, stop smoking. I just had to clean up my act in any way I could think of. And so I did that. And uh, it alienated from all, me from all my friends because they just weren't on board with that. They wanted to keep having right. fun. And so I was, became a loner. And this was the last year of high school. And, I, and then one day I was looking at my dad's bookshelf just for something to read. And I saw this little slender book and I picked it out and it said it was the Bhagavad Gita. Now the Bhagavad Gita is a very uh, sacred book in India. And I had no knowledge of Indian thought or anything like that. Um, and and it, it turned out it was in my dad's library just because he had taken some management course and a Jesuit priest had put it in the curriculum as part of this management course. He also didn't know anything about Indian thought or uh, meditation or Bhagavad Gita or any of it. So I opened it up and I started looking at it and it was as if I had written that book. I knew it intimately. In fact, when I look, when I, I've written four books now myself and when I look at one of the books I've written, it's not as familiar to me as that was. That was uh, just so intimate. It was my pulse. It was just expressing what I had experienced perfectly. And so then I tried to meditate and I failed. You know, it's really hard to teach yourself to meditate. Um, anyone listening, please, please, if you're interested in getting the benefits of meditation, get some good instruction. Um, okay. And, you know, can, you know, that's one thing. It's like a very subtle art. And with any art, it's good to have some instruction. 
I, I have right. a website where I have lots of courses on video. You can go there. You can get a free uh, guided meditation that will take you very deep. Um, so, and that's at ajayan.com. So I, I just tell you, if you're going to try to meditate, be sure to be properly taught. You'll save yourself a lot of trouble. Uh, so anyway, I couldn't meditate. So then when I, I started reading other books and, and Tibetan Buddhist books, and I wanted to go to Tibet and study with the lamas there. But of course, I was, uh, you know, a high school student, and I had to go to college. And, and the Chinese occupation in Tibet probably made going there impossible. So, uh, so anyway, I ended up going to college, and I saw a poster about meditation. I took the course, and that was the beginning. Then I learned to teach meditation. I uh, traveled all over the world learning different forms of meditation and ended up in, mm-hmm. living in India. And, uh, and that's what led me to the Himalayas. So that is the big backstory to this book. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm glad we were able to get an insight onto how it led up to you going to the Himalayas. Now you said there are different forms of meditation. What, how, yeah. how many forms are there and, and what are they? Oh, wow. Okay. So there are, probably too many forms to, to wow. list or even number, but because if you talk about different forms as variations, but there are some basic categories. So there's right. mindfulness, which is very popular right now. And okay. that's a, mindfulness is, is I, mindfulness is a wonderful technique. And uh, so that's one way route to go. Of course, there's mantra meditation. A mantra is, um, is like a, syllable or a phrase, a syllable or a word or even a phrase um, that you can meditate on and use as sort of a medium to experience, you know, coming to deeper and deeper levels of the mind and deeper and deeper levels of, of silence. So that's another form of meditation. Um, there is, of course, meditation on a deity. You know, if you read the Christian mystics like St. Teresa of Avila and uh, St. John of the Cross, and also in in every culture where there's some uh, you know idea of a of a deity, uh, there's exists this kind of contemplative prayer directed towards that deity, which turns into meditation. Um, and so that's another. It's a devotional meditation. That's another form. Um, there's meditation on the nature of reality, where you're contemplating, you know. Uh, I am. I am not this. I am not that. I am not that. Illumin- that neti neti they call it, where you're uh, meditating in such a way that you're 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 eliminating all these false identifications that we like. I we normally think that maybe I am the body, but of course, if you think about it carefully, you know you're not just the body. There, you're more than the body. So what are you? And then think, oh, am I my thoughts? Am I my mind? Am I my feelings you know and you just keep eliminating i'm not this i'm not that until you come to this essence so that's another form of meditation so you can see there uh and there's and there's many more you can meditate on symbols um like the chakras the chakra meditation and each chakra has a a different uh symbol uh associated with it Uh, also a mantra associated with it so you can do mantra meditation on the chakras so on my website um, 
in my I have a membership site. So I have this free guided meditation that'll give you a taste of 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 a wonderful form of meditation. But then uh, if you want to go deeper, I have a membership site. And there on video instruction, I, I teach many different forms of meditation. So that, that just gives you a glimpse. There's probably, of course, even more forms of meditation. One thing I found in the Himalayas and in my instruction uh, with different yogis, because I've studied uh-huh. with a lot of different yogis in the Himalaya uh, over the years, and um, is that working, I, I kind of like to work with the energetic body as well, not just a mental meditation. Because a mental meditation, that's only engaging one part of your being, your mind. Whereas, and it does impact your body and the other levels of your being, your emotional uh, state and so on, and your energetic state. But if you can work directly on the energetic body, that really deepens your experience of meditation very quickly. So I like, I teach a lot of techniques um, for doing that. So it's a whole, technicia, it's a whole science. And I've been in love with that science for almost the last 50 years. And I've just passionately studied it. And again, that's kind of what led me to the Himalayas and this whole adventure of whispers of the Himalaya was you know, you just want to go deeper and deeper into it. And so I wanted to, so when I lived in this cave, I actually went into silence. I didn't speak for two months. I only ate one meal a day and I was meditating the rest of the time with, a, with the exception of uh, taking a walk and, and, and getting to my one meal and washing my laundry and, and bathing in the icy, icy cold Ganga. Um, other than that, I was just meditating all day, but um, it was amazing. It was such an amazing experience and so happy to, you know, I just felt so <clears throat> utterly happy there, you know, in that beautiful place doing all that meditation. So uh, now I, I, oh yeah, your question was what forms of meditation? I hope I answered that. <laughs> Yes, and I, I know there were so many forms and that you actually have to practice it. See, because I think in most of our minds, we think of meditation as doing yoga, which is two separate entities. Um, It's, it's right. on a different, whole other level. As you were saying, it's much deeper than what we actually think. Because when I think of meditation, you know, that meditation completely takes you out of a zone of being fearful, um, mm-hmm. being worried, any other mood that you're in that's what meditation takes you out of I even had I even have a friend who said she meditated when she meditated she was able to hear even the smallest things around her even a bird I was like wow now that is really deep I, I would definitely love to do that and then go on your website but what parts of your life um even from your past and up to now Ajaye keeps you in touch with day-to-day reality of just normal and ordinary people such as myself? Oh, well, I, I, I am an ordinary person too. Um, you know, it's like that saying, we are um, spiritual beings having a human experience here. And, and, and I think it's very important to have a human experience. Obviously, we are human <laughs> beings. So, um, so I am married. 
I have uh, two children of my own and four stepkids, uh, and I have a job. Um, And so (laughs) I am fully engaged in this world, and I think that's that's so important. Yeah, it's so important. You can't go to a cave. I don't believe that we are meant to permanently retire from the world, at least not most of us. Maybe there's a few of us who that happens to be our our gig, but that's not... uh, for most of us, we are meant to bring, you know, wisdom and love and, you know, the spiritual right. qualities into this level of living. And it's only right. in that integration that we get fulfilled. If you, if you go apart from your human experience and you just exist somewhere in the Himalayas or somewhere else, uh, you know, in some state of bliss, and yet you're not integrated, you're not connecting with people, you're not giving love and kindness and compassion and you're not expressing your creative intelligence that you were given then in an an engaged way then then i think you're missing the boat um so anyway that's my philosophy is to be very practical actually but as my mentor told sorry i was just going to say an occasional retreat can be very helpful you know if you because you want to it's like my first teacher used to say, you draw the arrow back before you let it go. And then when it, if you draw the arrow back far on the bow, then you can let it go and it'll hit the target with force. So if in life you go back into that state of dynamic inner silence in meditation, that's like drawing the arrow back. And then when you let the arrow go, you can be fully engaged in life. And that's really what we need to live. If you try to just, throw the arrow forward without pulling it back, it'll, it won't be effective. It'll be weak. It'll just drop. Um, so it's only by pulling the arrow all the way back that we gain our own full power. That's why it's so important to meditate. Uh, and, and I definitely, I can definitely understand that now that you've given us all this information and, and a look into it, um, as my mentor always say, we are, we're not, human we're not human beings but we are human becoming and and i was thinking of that as i was asking that question i said yeah we're humans becoming that's that's what we do <laughs> we're coming into the spirituality experience and it's all it's all around us but we just have to sometimes notice the reality of it and to a, experience the goodness of what it is because we got already do what we have to do in order to experience this and know that this is a a fulfillment of life. If, if we don't have time to do that, then meditation is no use to us whatsoever. Um, what has actually been probably the greatest learning activity out of this ex- experience for you? Oh, wow. Okay. So, um, actually, what I would say, the, the there's a couple things. Um, first of all, like I say, it was, I had many different insights and I, I wouldn't say any one of those insights was the, the best insight that I had there. There were just all, you know, it was like looking at a diamond and seeing many sides to that diamond and, uh, many facets and enjoying them all. And so that's kind of what the whispers are. So, but overall, I see that in that state of withdrawal from the world on retreat in a living in a cave in silence in seclusion 
I did find that I became very uh, happy and, you know, deep and fulfilled. Like it was really profoundly fulfilling. And I felt my awareness, my mind became crystal clear and filled with a kind of light and joy. And so, and I realized, okay, that is our nature. That is how we can live. So that's the first part of it. But then when I came back to the world and Uh I had to, again, start interacting with my wife and my kids and just the demands of life, um, then I found that is where the big uh, challenge of integration is. And, um, And so... I was just, overall, I would say the insight is kind of what I was saying before, that we we need both. We need to go deep within to experience our potential, but then we need to live in an active, engaged life in order to integrate that potential and, you know, to to live it, to bring it into the world. And um, that's what I've been trying to do ever since. And although I you, you, in a smaller scale, every day I meditate. So I draw the arrow back, and then I go into activity. And I think that's uh, very necessary for all of us to go within, and then, and then come out and do our best. And 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 Technicia, I love what you're saying about we're we're human beings. We're becoming. We're be, we're not beings. We're becoming. Becoming, <laughs> you know? and right. so, <laughs> oh, that's really cool. We're becoming human, becoming exactly. And, we learn it every single day. Yeah, absolutely. And so, and that is the thing. Just the the place of meditation in becoming is simply to add kind of booster engines, you know, just to so that we can uh, stay clear as we're becoming. And stay calm as we're becoming, and stay deep in our nature as we're becoming. And so, uh, anyway, that's I think the most important insight that I have to offer. Um, even though in the book right. there's many different insights on many subjects. It sure yeah. is. It's plenty of them. But we're gonna take a short break. We're gonna come back with Jaya because we want to discuss a little bit more about the cave as well as more insights into this. So don't touch that dial. We'll be right back after this. Thought it was over? Not yet. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. You're listening to Blog Talk Talk Radio, baby. You wanted to see me? Yes, please. Have a seat. So here's the thing. When this company brought you on, we took a chance on you. You didn't have that four-year college degree we typically look for. Right. But we gave you a shot anyway. And since then, you've worked incredibly hard and given it your all. Thanks. You've been an important asset to the team. But I don't think you can be an intern here anymore. We want to hire you. You're you're serious? Absolutely. Find your next great employee. Introduce yourself to the grads of life. Who are they? Talent worth knowing about. Young adults of unique determination and experience. An ideal fit for your company in an entry-level position, internship, or even mentorship. They might not have every qualification you typically look for, but they're exactly who your company needs. I won't let you down. I know. Don't miss out on a resource many innovative companies have already discovered. 
Go to gradsoflife.org to learn how to find, cultivate, and train this great pool of untapped talent. Brought to you by the Ad Council and gradsoflife.org. That's right. We're back, as my friend Daryl just mentioned on my Facebook Live. We are back, and I'm thankful that all my viewers on here are appreciating this. Thank you, Ms. Dimples. I appreciate that it is a blessing. That's why I do this show, because I want someone to learn something different every day. There are things we need to know, meditation, things around us that we don't even look at. That's what I like to do. Um, I'm trying to get together a show on those domestic violence as well. But if you have any other show ideas, if you feel that you want me to discuss with a guest, please don't mind doing that. You can also email me at technishaday at gmail.com, or you can inbox me on Facebook. But I do appreciate your love and support, everyone. Um, now we're back with Ajaye. And if you're just tuning in or if you're watching the replay, Ajaye is a best-selling author. He has written over several books, including the great one I'm holding up in my hand where the topic is backwards on here, Whispers of the Himalaya. We have talked about meditation, all the different forms of meditation. I mean, it's so many. We couldn't get into all of them. But there is so much more that you can find in this book once you get it on your bookshelf. Now, Ajaye, according to your book, caves are not easy to find in the Himalayas. How did you find yours? <laughs> well, okay, that's an interesting thing. You know, I <clears throat> I expected, you know, that there I would have no problem finding a cave, uh, that I just kind of waltz up to this place, Gangotri it's called, um, near the source of the Ganga, and just uh, find my cave and, and start meditating. But what I discovered is that um, I didn't know what I was talking about at all. Uh, there's only a few limited number of caves that, and they're man-made for the most part, at least in that area, they are man-made. There are real natural caves in the Himalayas and I've, I've gone to some of those, but um, these were all man-made and uh, they, and there's only a short season that you can go up to that altitude and and stay in the caves and that season runs from about uh, late april or early may until uh october or so into october um and uh and so that's the prime season and i got up there in early june and by that time all the holy men had come from all over india because this gangotri is a is a hot spot for pilgrims it's um it's a very sacred place, and uh, pilgrims from all over India come there throughout that that season of you know May through October. And so, anyway, and June is the height of their of the time for Indians to vacation. So the um, caves were all taken. And when I got up there, you know, I was just flatly told by everybody, nope, there's no vacant caves. I even met people who've been looking for caves for weeks and they hadn't found any. So uh, that was pretty disheartening. And I, you know, I went from one person to the next asking for a cave and, and nobody could help me. So one day I was walking through the forest in a direction I had never walked before downstream and uh, I was about a half a mile or so outside of the, the small village of just uh, maybe at that time there might have been 75 people there or something like that 
Um, and so I'm in this forest and it's very remote and uh, nobody's around. And suddenly I feel this wonderful peace and silence along the trail. And I thought, wow, that's really odd. Uh, what's this, this place seems to be kind of special. And so I left the trail and started walking down this hill towards the river. And I walked over down this hill. And when I got to the bottom of the hill, I looked to my right. And there was a little wooden door. And, and it had a chain dangling from it. And I thought, mm. hmm, okay. And so I opened the door. And sure enough, it was a cave that somebody had made. And they made it by digging out from under this big boulder so that the boulder is the roof of the cave. And then they would take all the rocks that they dug out from under it, and they would pile those along the, the front of the, where they had been digging. And so that made a front wall. And then they put the door in. And so you had a, an in, completely enclosed cave. Now I went in there and it was about as, almost as big as a one car garage, although you couldn't stand up straight. It was uh, Maybe in one spot you could stand up straight, but it was mostly you had to hunch over. And um, it was kind of dank, and it leaked, and there was little drip drips here and there. And I thought, oh, boy, this is, this is a cave, all right, but, but this is um, perfect for a human-sized rodent or something. It's, uh, there's no way I could stay in this cave. So I left it. You know, I was kind of a prima donna. You know, I, I was expecting, I don't know what I was expecting, some, you know, perfectly clean wonderful heated cave um but uh yeah anyway and so i kept looking and i came to this other cave that was actually a famous cave um because historically some very famous figures in indian mythology supposedly stayed there and uh there was a swami in that cave and i told him about my search for a cave and he said i'll help you and he took started taking me around and showing me all these other man-made caves that were really terrible they all the walls had crumbled down and they were completely open to the elements and and you know all my stuff could easily get stolen and it was just they were just horrid they weren't really caves at all and finally he brought me back to the one I had found on my own and we walk in it and he says he looks at me with a big smile and he says first class cave and I realized he was right. That was the best <laughs> cave ever, you know. So, so that became my home, and so that's how I found the cave. But it was quite a journey. It took I probably was there a week looking around for a cave before I found one. I, I was going to ask you about that because you mentioned a person in your book. I think Felipe Phillips, right. who you met in the cave. Were there other people that you met along the way too? Oh, yeah. That's the thing about this book. It's kind of odd. You would think, since I'm not speaking, I'm in total silence for two months, and I'm meditating like 14 hours a day. You would think I wouldn't see another human being. But actually, there were quite a – I met a, quite a few people and, and developed very deep relations with a lot of people, and, and Philippe was one. He was a Swiss man. Uh, who I met before I found the cave and before I went into silence. And so I, he and I spoke. And, uh, yeah, the first night in the cave, he helped me clean the cave. Um, and we found scorpions and big beetles, and we tried to clear mm. out all of those as much as we could. And, uh, anyway, we tried to make it clean. We put pine needles down so it would have kind of a carpet instead of just dirt. 
And uh, and then he he made a comment and he said, um, "Boy, I've never never been in a cave before. I wonder what it'd be like to to stay overnight in a cave like this." And I said, "Hey, well, why don't you stay the first night? You know, you can see what it's like." So he got a sleeping bag, and I had I was really silly. I had read a book by some Swami who had gone traveling around the foothills of the Himalayas, and he just had one thin wool blanket. So I had only brought one thin wool blanket thinking that I could do this, you know, and, <laughs> and it turns out at 10,000 feet, caves at night get down to about freezing. And even in, in his sleeping bag, his down sleeping bag, Philippe was cold. Well, I was really cold in my one thin wool blanket. I can tell you that. I didn't sleep at all that <laughs> I first night. You were. <laughs> so, anyway, I, don't I, I, could, I don't think I could still the chance. I commend you no, guys. No. I don't think I could. <laughs> no, it was terrible. And then, and then, I, in fact, a lot of my meditating for those two months was meditating on wishing I had a propane heater. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because uh, it was it was freezing cold. Caves are a freezer. Even oh, even the yeah the sadhus, you know, the holy men there, they actually don't like caves so much. They prefer huts. Oh, okay. Because the sun. Yeah, the sun heats up the hut. The sun doesn't heat up the cave much. So anyway. Okay. Um, yeah, but that's what I would do to stay warm, just to tell you that, is I would put every single piece of clothing I owned on. So a few layers of pants, a few layers of shirts, a few layers of socks, some gloves. And then I would have my two blankets because I ended up buying another one. And then over that, I would put a rain poncho. And with all of that, it took me like, 45 minutes to just get dressed for bed every night. Um, with all of that, I could just stay warm enough to sleep through the night. <laughs> but no, I oh, met wow. many people. I, I met a lot of yogis, you know, and became very good friends with them. Because the thing was, right. they don't, they never saw a Westerner who not only lived in a cave, uh, which is harsh, and even they don't like that. But so I lived in a cave and I was in silence and they knew I was meditating all day because some of them would come by and pop in on my cave and see what I was up to out there, you know, in the middle of the forest. And, uh, and I was always meditating. And so the word got around that there's this Western guy who seems to be a real yogi, you know, and, and so they really mm-hmm. re- respected me. And when I would walk through town right. af- after I got my you know, meal, they would all, you know, kind of hail me and say, Mona Baba, that means, um, you know, a, some, a yogi who uh, takes silence, Mona is silence. And so anyway, uh, so I became good friends with many of them, and uh, they're quite wonderful characters. And so there's, there's actually a lot of human interaction in the book. It's not just me being there with my thoughts. There's, so you get to see the spiritual culture of, of that area of India and, uh, you know, meet some of the people. And it's really, it was really a warm experience for me uh, to get to know those people. And they're still my friends. And I've gone back many times and seen them many times. And I just love the people that I met. Some of them have passed away now. And, right. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, some of them are gone now or or passed away, but uh, yeah, it was it was wonderful that way. 
it is, and just reading in your book of how you emerged from that cave to do yoga in that moment, you felt the warmth. It's like all your senses come alive when you're doing meditation, and it's it's a beautiful yeah. experience. I'm, I'm telling you, this is a this is a blessing. Uh, it it you is know, to have this in, in your hands, and it's not just a self help book. This is guiding you through, giving everyone your experience and everything. Now, one of my questions um, I, I want to ask, because I have a friend, her name is Alma, so I thought about in your book, um, and you have mm-hmm. taught meditation at, at Alma Chi Center in India for four years. Right. Now, who exactly is she, and, and why did she choose you as being an outsider to teach in the home of so much meditation? Well, um, Amachi is a wonderful saint uh, in India. She's considered a saint, I should say. And uh, she has, um, she was a mystic from a very young age. Even when she was a child, she would sing devotional songs. And she was just one of these beings who's, you know, born in this world who seems to be such a strong spiritual force. And, uh, so she was just carried by that spiritual force and she uh, loved to sing devotional songs and so forth. And she became quite a mystic even in her early years and in her teen years. And she was considered kind of crazy by the villagers. And then she uh, had an experience of merging into Mother Divine and felt this mission to, um, you know, to, to basically relieve the people of the world from their suffering and so she embraces people and this is the way she does it she just gives them a hug and when she hugs them a lot of times people they feel so much love from her they just burst into tears and uh and a lot of times they just feel so relieved from their suffering and so this is the woman um and she has started many charitable um you know many charitable organizations uh, she's built a beautiful big hospital one of the most advanced and biggest hospitals in southern india um colleges cancer hospices orphanages all kinds of things um and uh, so the i met her in 1988 when she came on a she does these summer tours of america and uh, she mm-hmm. comes to seattle and i met her in 1988 when she came to seattle and uh immediately very much loved Amachi. And so I saw her the next year again in 89. And then in 90, she, the host who, you know, she would be hosted by somebody in Seattle and that host wasn't able to host them that year. And so uh, we offered our home. And so Amachi stayed in our home with her entourage. And she did that for uh, like two or three subsequent years as well. So we got to know her very well. And, and we just became more drawn to the idea living with her in India and, and just seeing what that would be like. And, uh, and so we, my, my two daughters and my wife and I, we actually moved, sold everything, uh, our car, our house, everything we own, big yard sale, and uh, all down to a couple boxes of just the things we really wanted to save. And then we went to India and we lived there for four years. And Amma, of course, knew me well enough to know that I uh, loved meditation, that I was 
a lot of my friends call, called me Mr. Meditation. I mean, uh, you know, I just, <laughs> it's been a passion for me, uh, right. you know, so much. And, um, and so anyway, when she knew that I had all this passion for meditation, and so she very graciously made me the meditation teacher, which was a big blessing and gift for me to, because it allowed me to teach thousands of people uh, how to meditate and really refine my teaching abilities. And she gave me further guidance um, and inspiration. So it just was a wonderful gift uh, that she did, you know, give me for that to be the meditation teacher at her ashram. So that's the story of that. Um, I did want to add one other thing. When you uh, yeah. were talking earlier, you said to be able to see things we never see or notice things we don't notice. You know, that's exactly what was happening on that retreat when I was living in the cave in the Himalayas, because you get so sensitive through all that meditation that and so highly alert that you start to see the world as you've never seen it before. And that is an amazing experience because you not only see it as you've never seen it before, but you see it with this joyful eyes, you know, just and hear it with joy. You taste it with joy. Everything is you're just getting the highest of the, of the experience through all the senses. And um, so that was wonderful. And, and in the same way through the mind, and that's why the insights that are in the book are, are, are what they are is because it was in that context of really being so deep in meditation and so highly alert. Um, so anyway, that's, uh, that's, I just wanted to add that in there. No, that's fine. I'm glad we got it in. We got the exclusive <laughs> on this. Um, at any point in your life, did you ever feel like giving up on your quest? Oh, yes. Uh, not only, well, yes. Um, actually, in my daily life in the world, I always, I never felt like giving up to meditation. But when I was living in that cave, many times I wanted to give up because um, what it's very intense uh, spending that much time alone meditating in a cold, right. really cold cave. So there's physical discomfort. You know, you have dirt was everywhere. I was always dirty. And there were bugs, <laughs> you know, the snort scorpions, but there were also <laughs> right. these big, yeah, there were these big beetles, you know, that they would crawl oh. up my, my, while I was meditating, they'd crawl up and they would head towards my ears. And I remember this movie, um, I forget it was the name of the movie, it was something of the moon or something. It was the story of um, the, the explorers looking for the source of the Nile speaks and somebody else. And one of the fellows had during sleep, a beetle crawled into his ear and it was burrowing into his ear and it was going to get into his brain oh. or something, you know? So to get it oh, out, they had to poke yeah, this. You got my nerves crawling. This, I know. They had to poke into his ear with a stick and, and jab the, the beetle and break the guy's eardrum in order to get him out. Of course, oh. that scared me because this beetle was heading for my ear. <laughs> so I thought Why? Because you, uh, you did mention that in your book. Or, but yeah, so the scorpion so to himself. Pardon me. You you didn't have problems with the scorpion. I, only I was shocked. Once I almost once I almost laid down on a scorpion while I was doing my almost. yoga. 
they seemed to oh, no. they seemed to keep their distance. They weren't that interested in me. But once I <laughs> almost laid down on one, and that scared me. But that was the only real problem. Um, anyway, so yeah, so the thing is, it's so uncomfortable. It's so harsh. It's so cold. And it's so extreme. And I was away from my family. I was away from good food. You know, the meal I nah, ate was yeah. really very simple. It was just beans and rice, basically. Just beans and rice. And that was it. And then mm. on the way back to my cave, I would pick some greens that were growing in the, the sorrel that was just growing on the trail. And I would eat that. <laughs> so I was, in every sense, my senses were being assaulted and deprived. And, of course, I wanted to get the heck out of there many times. God I thought, oh, I think I, yeah, I, I think I'm done. I think I'm good. I, <laughs> I'm ready now to go back to the world. But it was also such a rare opportunity. So I would go from one extreme of incredible bliss and joy and just loving every moment of it to, to oh, my God, I can't take this anymore. And then the rains came, the monsoons reaches that part of the Himalayas in July. And I, for a month, it was just solid rain. And I would walk to town for my meal in the rain and I would bathe mm. in the rain and I would wash my clothes in the rain and they would never dry out. And that was, and then it was even colder. And so again, you know, it was a very harsh thing to do to be in that cave at that season. Um, and so, yes, I felt like giving up about every other day. <laughs> oh yeah, but, I but don't. The, that but, really takes yeah. that that takes strong mentality. That's that's out of your comfort zone, and that's what we talk about on the affirmation call. Get out of your comfort zone. Get out of that fear, because mm-hmm. that's what we live in. We live in fear, and you stuck it out, man. I don't know. I don't know. I would have to go through that test. See, that's a test of faith, spirituality. That's testing you all the way. You you a bad man, Ajay? I wish I can give you. I wish I could give you a fist pump. You a bad man. I can't. I don't know. My nerves too bad. My nerve. My nerves too bad. I start looking around. Wait a minute. How long you crawl? I don't even like roaches, so I know I won't get along. Wait a minute. Be. Hey, hey. We we can share. You want some food? We can share. <laughs> but um, I love you today, Tanisha. I love you. Yeah, yeah. You're beautiful. I really enjoyed this talking to you. Um, yeah. It's uh, yeah. It was quite a. A challenge, quite a trial. And then the biggest trial came when at the very end of my stay, when I walked up, um, I walked about 25 miles in one day to go see the actual glacier um, where the Ganga was flowing out of. And, um, mm-hmm. and it was, uh, you know, it was going up the mountain further. And, uh, and because I'd just been sitting in my cave, for two months and with my legs crossed, you know, I sit in full Lotus. So that's kind of hard on your knees uh, to be in full Lotus for so many hours a day. And uh, that's that pretzel position you see yogis in. So anyway, I, when I did this walk up there in the cold and it started raining coming down, um, my knees started aching like they've never ached before. And I don't know if this happens sometimes to people in hiking in the mountains where in certain conditions and you're coming down and I don't know what it, what causes it, but every step is like a nail being driven into your knee. You did literally, right. that is what it feels like. Every step is a nail going into your knee. And I had to walk back down 
uh, it, that was over 13 miles walking back down to my cave. Uh, I could barely do it. Anyway, that was another excruciating challenge. That was the, probably the biggest uh, challenge of physical endurance of pain that I've ever had to endure. Um, and that happened on this trip too. So it, it was not all just bliss and joy. It was very challenging. I, I bet, but you didn't give up one second. So that's the wonders of it. Your story is encouraging for the rest of us. It is to let us know that you don't have to give up so easily. It's a, and it's a, it's a mind thing to me. But um, before we even end this, show, I want to ask this: you, because you had a torturous experience towards the end of your journey, yet it evoked a wonderful state of being. Why do you think intense pain produced that? experience of grace wow that is an that is an excellent question and that is you know that is kind of the mystery of life we all want happiness right we all would love things to go smoothly to be easy for life to be good to have the wealth that we want and all the comforts and everything but the truth is that our greatest experiences of growth and our and grace seem to be around the experience of some kind of pain and suffering. Um, and, uh, and, you know, this is, it's like that's when we have to go deepest and we're just driven deep and we're driven to our knees. We're driven to a state of surrender. We're driven into the depths of ourselves when we have uh, some pain in our life, some kind of suffering. And that's often when we actually grow the most. We don't grow much when everything's going great. You know, that's, a, that's kind of a curse. If everything's just going great in your life, you're, you're not going to be going deep and growing. So um, be thankful for those times when you're really challenged and when you really have to, it's just you and life and you're, you're being held in some kind of pain and you have to go deep to find the meaning of that uh, experience. And so that's, that's what happened. And that was, what you're referring to in the book actually was that what I just described coming down from the, the glacier and the 13 mile walk is uh, coming back down, which was such intense pain every step. Um, so anyway, and yet I felt this amazing grace at one point I was like, I was in this bubble of light and I was just being carried down and I was able to walk actually pretty quickly uh, and that was uh, that was an amazing. It was just like I was being carried by angels, uh, you know, after having had so much intense pain in my knees. So anyway, that's that's what happens. You know what? I'm hoping that one day I can get to that point in my life where I can be spiritually intact, not just based on religion, but just spiritually, mentally, and physically. That would that would do me just wonders um, to get to that point. Ajaye, before we get off, I'd like the listeners to know where they can actually pick up your book. Sure. Uh, well, it's probably easiest is just Amazon.com. Um, so, and just do a search for Whispers of the Himalaya uh, and Ajay and Boris. And again, if, you know, really, I hope you enjoy the book. But I also encourage you to, to take up meditation as some, a way of really like eliminating stress, but also just of going deeper 
and experiencing life more fully. And if you are, if you want, you can go to my website and get a nice uh, free um, guided meditation in the way that I teach meditation, which is a little different. Like uh, that, you'll find that I incorporate, like I say, working with the energetic body. So it opens you to a deeper experience of meditation. So that's at ajayan.com, A-J-A-Y-A-N.com. And uh, so anyway, I wish you the very best. And Technicia, thank you for having me on the show. You're an absolutely lovely uh, host. I really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Um, And God, happy holidays to you too, Ajay. Same to you, Technicia, and all your your, uh, listeners. Happy holidays. Thank you. But before I leave you, listeners, I know that we are on the quick tip of ending. And you, like I said, you can always watch the replay if you're watching it now. You can go back and listen to the archive. The truth of the day from my friend Mary L. Siknovich is this. When you continually judge others and yourself, there is no room for love or acceptance of either. Mother Teresa said, if you judge people, you have no time to love them. Such a wise lady and such a profound truth. Give love to those close to you. Pay special attention to children, and they will grow up with a high level of self-esteem. Give yourself the love and attention you need instead of judging yourself by society standards or for someone else to love you. No one can love you until you love you today. Make no judgments about anything or anyone, especially yourself or any situation you find yourself in. I want everyone to enjoy the day. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next time on The Bright Side with Technicia. Thanks for listening to The Bright Side with Technicia. If you like what you heard, tell your dad, mother, cousin, uncle, whomever. Be sure to check out the archive section at www.brightsidewithtk.com. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.